And it's good to be reminded of the outline for the book of Numbers. We're about to hit the second point in that outline. It's a three-point outline. The first point is Israel's obedience to the Lord. That's in chapters 1 through 10. We'll see it over and over and over again that Israel did all that Moses commanded them to do that the Lord had commanded Moses to do. So they were obeying the Lord over and over and over again and we see nothing but blessing. We see nothing but a smooth path out there for them. Once we hit chapters 11 through 25, there we begin to see Israel's disobedience to the Lord. And as Israel disobeys the Lord, they begin to get more and more just stuck in the wilderness. A quick road trip turns into a 40-year journey through the wilderness where everyone that originally left uh, the nation of Egypt is going to die except for Caleb and Joshua because of their disobedience. And that final third point in the outline It's found in chapters 26 through 36, and it's Israel's second generation's renewed obedience to the Lord. Uh, Now the second generation that rises up, Joshua is going to lead them through all the different rules and regulations and just the heart of God, why they were in Egypt, why God released them from Egypt, all that God has done to bring them in and usher them into the promised land. But we're here in chapter 8. Verse 1 through 4, it reads, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, and say to him, When you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face towards the front of the lampstand, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold. From its shaft to its flowers, it was hammered work. According to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses, so he made the lampstand. If you remember in Exodus chapter 25, we see here the blueprints for the lampstand. It's in Exodus 25, verse 31 through 40. We see that it's made out of pure gold, this lampstand. And it has these seven branches. And on these seven branches, there's going to be solid gold bowls. And they were made to look like almond blossoms they had ornamental knobs and flowers upon them and it was to be all one piece of pure gold so you have the lampstand and this lampstand props up these seven bowls that would be filled with oil have a wick inside of them and this was the only source of light in the entire tabernacle If you remember all of the walls of the tabernacle, it was wood that was covered in gold. So as you have this one light source, the reflecting of all the gold would brighten up this entire tent. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 20, the church is referred to as a lampstand. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 20, it says the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And this reminds us of our purpose in this world. Oftentimes as believers, oftentimes as a church, we can forget what are we doing here. What's our purpose? Our purpose is to prop up Jesus and let him shine in this world. Our purpose is not to save the world. It's not to save America. It's not to save the poor and the needy. All of those things are good. All of those things are important, but our primary purpose in this life is to get Jesus and put him up on display 
for all the world to see. You see, oil is what would fuel these seven bowls on the lampstand. Oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will run out of fuel and begin to do things in our flesh. And no longer will it be Jesus out and on display, but it will be our own flesh, our own works, and our own foot in our mouth, right? That's what's going to be on display for all to see. Oftentimes you see it happen in Peter. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, the Lord's been bringing the scripture a lot as of late. Let's turn there quickly. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Once again, what's our purpose for being here in 2022 in America, in Miami? Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, family, we are to be a reflection within this world, and there's only one true light source. And that's Jesus Christ. Our good work should be shining. And when people ask us why or how or thank you, don't just say no worries or don't mention it or not a big deal. No, we should be glorifying the Lord. This is what God put on my heart. This is what Jesus has revealed this to me. The Lord showed me in my devos this weekend. That's why I did X, Y, or Z. We should be giving reason for people to be able to glorify our Father in heaven. And the light source does not necessarily come from within us, although we do have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we are a reflection of Jesus Christ and of the Word. A series of scriptures here, Psalm 119, verse 105. It tells us, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Word of God is what brings light into our world, to our path, so we can see where we're going, to, so we can see if we're going down the right path. John chapter 1, verse 14 tells us of Jesus that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, we don't have time tonight, but even within the first six days of creation, light existed before the sun and the moon and the stars were created. How could light exist a whole entire day before all of these other celestial beings and stars existed? Jesus Christ, that light, that manifestation in him and through him was created there. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Do you have the light of life in your life, in you, pouring out of you? Do people see the light of Jesus Christ in you, in your actions? Do they see it? Finally, 2 Peter chapter 1 
Speaking about the word of God once again, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, Peter says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So family, the more time we spend with Jesus, the more time we spend in the Word of God, the more your light will shine, the more you will be fulfilling your purpose on this planet, the more we will be fulfilling our purpose as a church. It's each of us collectively spending more time in the Word, spending more time with Jesus so that our light will shine, so that we will give others the opportunity to glorify our Father in heaven. Back to Numbers chapter 8. In verse 5 now we see the cleansing and the dedication of the Levites. Back in Leviticus chapter 8 and 9 we saw all of the priests being dedicated. You remember a couple weeks ago, we, we mentioned, right, are all Levites priests? No, you guys are great, right? No, every single Levite out there is not a priest. Is every priest a Levite? Yes, you guys are great. Incredible memories, right? So again, back in Leviticus 8 and 9, we saw Aaron and all of his sons, those who would be up front and center, doing all the butchering, doing all the wick trimming, doing all the sacrificing. These men, they were brought in front of the entire nation of Israel and they had their ceremony, all of these animals sacrificed, a huge giant ceremony. But here in chapter 8, in verse 5 through uh, the end of the chapter, really we see the cleansing and the dedication of the rest of the Levites. There's around 22,000 of them. And now they are all being cleansed and dedicated. Verse 5 and 6, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. This is important. Why is this important? Some of us may say, this isn't important. The rest of these guys, they're just going to carry around building supplies. They're just going to carry fabric. They're just going to carry around furniture. Do they really need to be cleansed? Do they really need to be dedicated to the work of the Lord in front of everybody? Right? Do we really need to pray for the missions team in front of everybody before they get sent out? And let's turn to Acts chapter 6 and see the importance of the character of anyone who serves on behalf of the Lord. Again, we've mentioned it. These guys, they're basically a moving company. They are a construction company, but they are representatives of the Lord Almighty. And here in chapter 6, we're going to see a need within the church. And what they need, it's waiters, busboys, front of house. Maybe they needed a hostess, right? And we'll see what their character needed to be like in order to be a busboy within the church. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 4 it says, now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
Again, being waiters and waitresses. Verse 3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So once again, these are just waiters, busboys, attendants at the cafe. And yet the word of God said that they needed to seek from among them men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. Again, every servant within the church needs to be holy and have a good reputation. Every single servant. Sometimes here at Calvary Chapel, Miami, people are like, man, do I really got to wait six months to serve? Do I really have to fill out that packet? People think it's like a huge packet, right? It's like three pages back and front and back, right? But sometimes we look at that and say, isn't this a bit much, right? Isn't that a bit excessive in order to just serve the Lord, to just clean the toilets, to just serve in the kids' ministry? And what we see is from the Levitical priesthood all the way to the early church, men and women that served in the church needed to have high character. They didn't need to have high giftings. We don't see that here. God didn't say, seek from among you seven men that have incredible giftings, incredible talents. Again, we don't have time to go there, but in First and Second Timothy and in Titus, the qualifications for an elder or a deacon, all of them have to do with the character of the man except for one. Apt to teach. That's the only one that you could say is a talent or a gifting. All the rest have to do with the character. So if you want to serve the Lord, be concerned with your character. Do you have a good reputation from those within the church and those outside the church? How's your reputation with your coworkers, right? How's your reputation with your boss? Oh, there's Zach. He's always late, always asking for grace and mercy, right? Be gracious with me, brother. Always late, always lazy. What's your reputation? Because these Levites who would just carry things around, they had a high standard for them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the whole chapter is incredible, but specifically verse 26, it tells us, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You see, our carnal flesh sees the people up on the platform, and for whatever reason, our flesh tells us that what they're doing is more important than anyone else in the church. And it's a lie. It's our pride going on there. Because if there's no one in kids' ministry, I couldn't be up here sharing with you guys, because I got three kids, right? And it's tough to do kids' ministry and adult ministry at the same time. It's very difficult. So the blessing that Miss Anna or Miss Charlotte and all the incredible teachers that help out and watch Luke and Levi and Ella, their work that what they're doing, it blesses and benefits the whole body just as much, if not more, than I do, than anyone else does in the church. That's why we got to get rid of this lie sometimes in our mind that the most pinnacle, the highest point of service to the Lord is somehow up here on the platform. If you're faithful to what God has given you, if you're faithful to the calling that God has given you, the whole entire body is blessed. The whole body is blessed. Right? Last Sunday, the cafe, they made pan-fried noodles and they sold out of it. So the whole body and our physical bodies, right? They were blessed 
with them being faithful with what God has called them to. Again, be careful that you don't just see someone else, right? Those sons of Merari, those sons of Gershon, those sons of Aaron, and in your flesh you're just wanting their calling. Friend, be faithful to the Lord with the character that you have and with the calling that he has given to you. Verse 7, it says, Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purification on them and let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. First and foremost, this is Old Testament. None of you have to do this. If someone asks you to do this, right? Tell them to step off, that you're free in Christ, right? You're not bound to the law any longer. But here we have a ceremony to show what God should be doing in the hearts of these Levites. First and foremost, the sprinkling of water was a ceremonial picture of the cleansing of these Levites from their sins. So they would be sprinkled with water. Then they would be completely shaven, right? Then they were given new clothes. So we see these Levites soaking wet. They have no hair and they have brand new clothes in order to serve among the Levites. It's as if they all needed to become babies once again. And Ezekiel, he makes a prophecy for us in the new covenant of Jesus Christ. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 27, it says, Then I will sprinkle water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Again, Jesus, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And if you truly want to serve the Lord, you must be born again. You can't serve the Lord truly as an unbeliever. You can serve him as a tool. Pharaoh, he was used by God. God used him. But he was used as a tool, not as a son. You and I, you don't want to be used as a tool by the Lord. You want to be a son that is in the ministry and in the service of God and of his people alongside of Jesus Christ. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3 verse 5, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Don't marvel at that. There's only one type of Christian. There's only one type of person in heaven. That's a born again believer. Some people think, like, have you been born again? No, 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 but I'm a Christian. No, there's only one type of Christian, and it's the man or woman that has been born again, born into the Spirit. We go back to Numbers chapter 8, verse 8. We see the, the sacrifice here. Then let them take a young bull with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, and you shall take another young bull as a sin offering, and you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall gather the whole congregation of the children of Israel. So you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Does this look familiar at all from tonight? Again, it's just biblical what we're doing here. Verse 11, And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel. 
that they may perform the work of the Lord. Again, it's important for us to know, if you want to serve the Lord, if you want to be a Levite, a priest, a pastor, you want to work at a church, the whole point of it is to do the work of the Lord. The whole point of a mission trip, the whole point of serving, it's to do the work of the Lord. And here we see this in the Old Testament. It also happens in the book of Acts that they would lay their hands on the people that they were going to send out to go do the work of the Lord. Verse 12, then the Levites, they were to lay their hands on the head of the young bulls and you shall offer one as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. And you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. After that, the Levites shall go into the service, the tabernacle of meeting. So you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering. So again, they were cleansed from their sins. Then they were separated away from the rest of Israel, the nation of Israel, and then they were separated for the work of the Lord. Same type of theme that we talked about in in Leviticus. We need to be holy. We need to be separate from this world, separate to the Lord, so then we can be separated for the work of the Lord. David Guzik, speaking of the wave offering, he said that you would present something to God, such as a portion of meat or a portion of bread, and essentially you would say, God, this belongs to you. So the nation came before God and essentially said, Lord, these Levites, they belong to you. Verse 16, for they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of all who opened the womb, the firstborn of all the children of Israel. For the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel, and I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. Again, what's the whole point of the Levites? It's to serve the Lord and serve the children of Israel. Right In that verse 19, over and over and over again, it wasn't about the Levites. It was about their service for the children of Israel to protect the children of Israel so that a plague, so that sin wouldn't be among them and dominate them. We saw Moses go through the math of taking one Levite for every firstborn in Numbers chapter 3, verse 40 through 51. You can go over that when you get home if you want to check that out once again. In verse 20, Thus Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So the children of Israel did it to them. And the Levites purified themselves. They washed their clothes Then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord, and Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. 
After that, the Levites went in to do their work in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. So again, they're obedient to what the Lord told Moses. Everything's working out great. Everything is going smooth. Everything is going awesome. Now we come to verse 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This is what pertains to the Levites from 25 years old and above. One may enter to perform service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And at the age of 50 years, they must cease performing this work and shall work no more. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to needs, but they themselves shall do no no work. Thus you shall do to the Levites regarding their duties. So here we see, and from other portions of numbers that we've looked at, at 25 years of age, a Levite would enter into the work of the Lord. So from 25 to 30, you would have this apprenticeship. And you're following someone, you're learning from them. And then from 30 to 50 years of age, you would serve the Lord in your specific calling. Depending on whose son you are, whose family lineage, your job would be carry beams or carry boards or carry fabrics or carry the Ark of the Covenant. That would be your job. Or if you're with Aaron, you're part of his sons, his family, you would be there butchering animals, sacrificing them before the Lord. Once you hit 50, you would not retire. Some people think, man, it's a great gig, right? 25-year retirement here, right? Five-year apprenticeship, 20 years working. No. At 50 years of age, you would still work, but you would be ministering, which means serving the needs of the people and the needs of the Levites. In a sense, at 50 years of age, they would go from being an apprentice to being in the work to now being that apprentice to someone else, having apprentices under them and showing them the right thing to do. Again, we see this commonly throughout the New Testament as well. Older ministering to younger. Paul, he wasn't just in the ministry all by himself. He had Titus. He had Timothy. He would constantly be encouraging them and telling them, hey, this is what to do. This is not what to do, right? And in the beginning, he would bring them along with him on the different missionary trips he would go on. David Guzik, concluding this chapter, he says, Promised land people, they must be cleansed, they must be dedicated, and they must be doing the work of the Lord. So again, it's an easy question for us. Have you been cleansed? Have you dedicated your life to the Lord? And are you doing the work of the Lord? Numbers chapter 9. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. Back in Exodus chapter 12, that's where we saw God commanding Moses and Aaron while they're still in Egypt to celebrate this Passover meal. 
It's now been one year since they were freed from slavery and on their journey to the promised land. And God wants them to keep this Passover meal, this Passover celebration at its appointed time. God wanted Israel to remember where they had come from and what the Lord had done for them. And the same is important for us. We need to remember the beginning. Do you remember those first days coming to the Lord? Do you remember when you were first freed from the slavery of sin? Do you remember when you first banged your toe after you were a believer and you didn't cuss? And you sort of sat there and said, whoa, I stopped. How did this happen, right? I don't know if that's you. Or maybe you were getting stressed out and you weren't hungry for cigarettes anymore. Do you remember that season of being freed from the slavery of sin? Oftentimes we can forget about this. Oftentimes we can slip into a mindset that we've always been this way. Or that somehow I deserve this. I deserve this holiness. I deserve where I'm at in church. I deserve the points where I serve within the Lord because of all that I've done, all the years that I've put in. We have to be so careful with this. We can easily become a Pharisee instead of a believer and a disciple of Jesus Christ. We need to remember where we've come from and how Jesus has freed us from the slavery of our sins. So each year, everyone in Israel, they would have to take a one-year-old lamb, right? A young one-year-old lamb, and it had to be perfect, no blemish. And now this lamb would live with them for four days. Four days. I don't know how many, anyone here have small children, right? If you have an animal living in your house for four days, your kids are all attached to it at that point, right? For four days, you, baby, you watch someone's dog, you watch someone's goldfish for over a day, and that's it. Your kids are attached to that animal. So you would have this perfect young little lamb. It's not like an old, tweaky-looking lamb or anything like that or sheep. But this one-year-old lamb, you'd have it living in your house for four days. And then after four days, you would have to kill this perfect little lamb at sundown. Then you would have to proceed to go outside and spread its blood on the two doorposts and on the upper doorpost of your house. And this is what God commanded the nation of Israel to do so that this angel, this tenth plague, this angel of death, as some would call it, would pass over their house and save their firstborn son. You would then roast the lamb with fire. You would eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And any leftovers would have to be burnt up with fire. You see, for us as Christians, we don't celebrate Passover per se. Maybe you do a Passover Seder. Those are always fun. It's pretty enjoyable. But Jesus was our Passover lamb. And now we, by faith, we can identify that the blood of Jesus Christ has been shed for our sins. It's on the doorpost of our hearts. And God will pass over our sin and look at the sacrifice of his perfect son instead of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 Paul tells the church of Corinth, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Again, the Lord is always perfect in His timing. Every time we take communion together, in a sense, that's our Passover. We're remembering what Jesus has done for us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, it tells us, For as often as you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 
That's exactly what we're doing. We're having Passover here in a sense. We're being reminded of where we have come from. We're being reminded of the sacrifice that someone literally died taking your place. Jesus died. His body physically died. His heart stopped beating. He was beaten beyond human recognition taking my place. And we need to remember things like that. Because we can very quickly have zero attitude of gratitude and we become just an ugly believer. When you have no gratitude for what Jesus has done for you. You're harsher with other people. You're not as gracious. You're not as merciful. You're not as kind. Because you think that somehow you've deserved it. You've arrived. We need to remember where we have come from so that we can have this gratitude to the Lord and all that he's sacrificed for us. In verse 6 through 8, it says, Now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, We became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, Stand still, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. I love this interaction. First and foremost, because you have these men that even though they've been defiled, they desire to have the Passover. Even though they've been defiled, even though they were maybe at a funeral or they had to bury a family member or a friend, they're still desiring to have this Passover meal in their homes to be reminded of what God's done for them. The other reason why I love this interaction is because we see that Moses, one of the greatest leaders in all of history, did not know everything. He didn't know everything. You see, sometimes as believers, we have this lie like we believe we have to know everything. One of the biggest fears in the heart of many believers and the lie we tell ourselves to not share the gospel with others is what if they ask me a question that I don't know how to answer? And that fear cripples us and then we just do nothing for the Lord. We can very easily, just like Moses, say, hey, wait right here and let me go find the answer to that, right? That's basically what Moses is saying. Hey, stand still. You wait right here. And I'm going to go and hear from the Lord what he will command concerning you. The world today, it lies to us and tells us that we are not to stand still. And even when we're standing still, our minds are not standing still. They're constantly on the phone, watching TV. We need noise. We need constant stimulation to our minds. And the enemy's using that as a buffer with, think of, noise-canceling headphones to not hear the voice of the Lord. We need to work on this. A couple of standstills throughout Scripture. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. Moses, he tells, to the, he tells the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17. It says, You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Family, I encourage you to stand still. Allow your mind to, to be still. Allow your mind to sit and do nothing and just be outside or be in a quiet room, be in a closet, as Jesus would say, and pray to your Father. 
Psalm 46 verse 10 tells us to be still and know that I am God. Be still. Be reminded that he's God and we're not. We have all these worries, all these stressors. What if this? What if that? What if the other? Be still and know that he's God. Dwell on his word. Finally, another one, very important one. Psalm 4 verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Just be still. Hear from the Lord. So once again, if someone asks you a question that you don't know, if you're faced with a situation in life and you don't know, you don't have to fake and pretend like you do know. Stand still and go and seek the voice of your Father. Verse 9, we see that the Lord, he speaks to Moses. He answers Moses and he tells him, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover on the 14th day of the second month instead of the first month. At twilight they may keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and they shall leave none of it until morning nor break one of its bones according to the ordinances of the Passover. They shall keep it. So God, answering Moses to answer this man, says, hey, you guys can still have the Passover. You just have to wait one month and then make up the Passover. Verse 13, But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people. Because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger dwells among you and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover and according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and the native of the land. So we see here everyone within the camp of Israel was to live by one standard. God does not like double standards. Everyone within the camp of Israel, they had to live by one standard. They all had to remember where they came from and how the Lord saved them, how the Lord freed them from their slavery. And if someone would not keep the Passover, they were to be put outside of the camp. And we already talked about this, right? You're, you're out in the middle of the desert with your group, your two million people. And now all of a sudden, if you're not keeping the Passover, they'd kick you out of the camp. And now you're away from the walls, away from the protection, and away from all the people. Verse 15 and 16. Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, they finally built up the tabernacle. It tells us the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, from evening until morning. It was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. This is just a reminder to us how much God cared for the nation of Israel. It's just a tiny reminder of how much God cared for the nation of Israel. And family, God cares about you in the big things and in the small things. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 31 And 33, it tells us in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. And if you ever see a dad out there carrying his little toddler, that's what God is saying. Israel, I loved you so much. I carried you through, through the wilderness, through all of that turmoil, through all of that desert. I carried you like a dad would carry his son. 
And did that change the heart of Israel? No, they did not have that attitude of gratitude. In verse 32, the Lord continues, he says, Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way that you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. God's saying, I went before you. I searched out different places for you, and yet you did not care. You would not trust in me. May that not be said of us. In Psalm 121, verse 5, it says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. In Isaiah 25, verse 4, it says, For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. You see, God provided for the nation of Israel, not just food, not just making sure their clothing never wore out, their shoes never wore out, but God provided for them shade during the middle of the day. He'd have this giant cloud that will provide shade for the nation of Israel in the middle of a desert. And if you've ever been out, right, I think for most of us we go out on the beach. We don't really go out in the desert, right? But if you're out in the middle of a heat and all of a sudden you have shade, it's like a 10, 20 degree difference. And here God, he provides shade for the nation of Israel during the day. If you have ever been out in the desert at night, what happens to the temperature? It drops. It's freezing. And yet God would provide for them this fire, this pillar of fire in the middle of the night to provide warmth for them. Maybe for those kids that were afraid of the dark, they had this giant nightlight, right, outside their tents to keep them warm and to give them company at night. God cared for the nation of Israel, and God cares for you. Verse 14, whenever the cloud was taken up above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. Verse 18, at the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning. When the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain in camp and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. Finally, verse 23, at the command of the Lord, they remained encamped, and at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of Moses at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. We know at this point, Israel, they had a great leader, one of the greatest leaders ever in Moses. At this point, the nation of Israel, they have Aaron, the high priest. They have his sons. They have the rest of the Levites. The Levites, the whole priests, that they've been cleansed, they've been sanctified, they've been ready for the work of the Lord. And yet, the whole nation would still wait upon the Lord. 
They would still have to wait for the command of God on when to remain and when to journey, when to pick up their things and go, and when to just leave their things and stay. There's some today who think that once we're saved, we don't really need God's direction in our lives. There's some people that they say it out loud, and there's some of us that we just assume and act on our own strength and own initiative. There are many of us that we truly are not waiting upon the Lord and asking Him, Hey God, is this what you want me to do in my life? Is this the decision you want me to make? Is this the way that I should go? In Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, this church, they got saved and then they tried to go back to the path of the Jewish law. And Paul tells them, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Again, it's all spirit to get saved. Do we not realize we're in a spiritual battle? There's spiritual warfare and we should be making our decisions by the Spirit. Again, it's sad. There's Christians today that they go and they read horoscopes, right? To check out what's going on. There's some that they hang on to that fortune cookie that has those numbers, right? Whatever the case may be. What's leading you? What's guiding you? I pray it's no healing crystals or any of that garbage that's popular today. Get rid of all that trash. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 makes it very simple. Paul tells them, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We should ask ourselves when we make decisions, is the peace of God ruling in my heart? You see, the peace of God, it can be a compass through this life. Very rarely are you going to get an audible, thus saith the Lord. You're not going to get that. You're not going to get that. Even the holiest of the holy guys, right? They say they get that maybe once in their life, a handful of times in their life. We need to be ruled by the peace of God in our heart. It's an incredible indicator to reveal to us if we are where we need to be. Do you have that peace of God ruling in your heart? Where you're at in your relationships, with your friends, your hobbies, is the peace of Christ there? Or is your heart pounding because you know you're not where you're supposed to be? Are you growing spiritually? It's a great way to see if you're growing spiritually. Are you allowing the peace of God to rule in your heart? And are you allowing the word of Christ to dwell within you? Again, being in the word of God and being led by the peace of God. Jesus tells us that he did not seek his own, but that he sought out the will of the Father who sent him. John 15 verse 14, Jesus tells us, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So family, may we be seeking the will of God in our lives. May we be seeking the peace of God to rule and reign within our hearts. Not what the world says, not what the horoscope says, not what Tia Fulana says, right? To seek out the Lord and His Word and allow the peace of God to rule our hearts. Three questions. Have you been cleansed, sanctified, and about the service of our Savior? Have you forgotten about where you've come from and how this whole walk with Jesus started? 
And are we obeying the commandments of our God? Or are we just wandering through this wilderness aimlessly? Again, three great questions to ask ourselves as we've gone through Numbers 8 and 9. 